have your Bibles and want to turn there, we're in Judges chapter 10. And I know I was really tempted this week with all that's gone on, and there's so much that has gone on in our society, to just ditch Judges and just talk about medicine. It's always a, a, a thing for me because, you know, my training even in college was in public health and then family practice later on and, and a lot of epidemiology, and I'd love to talk about the plans and what's going on and how we manage uncertainty and, and to go into it. But as I was going through and thinking, what we need is this. We need the Bible. We need the message, even of judges today. And you might think that Old Testament stuff, it's just not very applicable to me. But I'm telling you this morning it is. And in the midst of fear, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of, wow, what should I do next? And is God really going to take care of me? To have the steady assurance that comes from what we're talking about today, of what's been done for you, hammered into your heart is my hope as we go into this story. So you got to enter into the story a little bit with me so that we see how it might affect us. And that's what we're doing today in Judges. So what we're doing is Judges chapter 10 and picking up in verse 17 is this story. And it's an amazing, shocking story today. If you don't know and never heard of Jephthah, <laughs> you're in for a treat. Here we go. Judges. And, and what we're calling this is the sacrifice of an outcast God. Because our God went outside the camp and we rejected him. And yet, look at what he did. Look at what he's done. Okay, so we're going to start first with like this Savior that gets put out, this Deliverer, because that's who the judges are, right? They're, they're deliverers of Israel. They're judges in the sense of leaders. They're people who are going before. And we pick up in verse 17 to jump into this passage. Here we go. Judges 10, verse 17. Then the Ammonites were called to arms, and they encamped in Gilead. And the people of Israel came together, and they encamped at Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Okay, the scene comes up, and already you're like, Oh, no. Who are these people? I don't know. I don't care. Where's my hand sanitizer? No, no, no. This is, this is our scene, and our scene's gonna help us understand God, because here we have the people of Israel, God's people, and, and we've already had last week, and we'll come back to that in just a minute. It's actually super important. But you have them with this other nation come to take them over and fight against them, the Ammonites. And the, they come to Gilead, and Gilead is part of Manasseh, it's one of the twelve tribes that's, that's there, and so they have this army gathered against them to oppress them, and the people say, hey, we need a deliverer. We're going to get crushed. Whoever can help us will make him the leader. That's what they're saying, right? We just need help. If we can find somebody, we'll make him the king. Okay. And so there begins in chapter 11 and says, now, Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah. And, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. 
and worthless fellows. I always love that when the Bible says worthless fellows. Worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. Okay, so that's the picture, right? So they're looking for someone, and you know it's going to be Jephthah, because here comes the main protagonist. Jephthah's there. But who's Jephthah? Right, This man who's the son of a prostitute, rejected by his family, pushed out. He's an outlaw. He's an outcast. He has worthless fellows around him. I want to meet one of those kind of people. If you're a worthless fellow, I'd like to talk to you after, after service. And here come the Ammonites, right? Because here they come. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah. That's who they're going to get from the land of Tob. They said to Jephthah, come and be our leader that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, Well, that's why we turn to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, Yahweh will be a witness between us if we do not do as you say. Okay, this is the deal, right? So so they asked Jephthah to be their leader, and he says, But you hate me. Why? Just when you're in trouble. You don't you don't love me now. You don't really want me, and they say, Oh, but we need you. We don't like you, but in our distress we're willing to do anything, so come and help us. And uh, you know what? Even if you weren't here last week, you should go back and read the beginning of chapter ten, because what does this sound like? It should be starting to sound like something. What? Remember the people of Israel? And they're suffering because they're serving all these other gods. And God says to them, Ah, you're suffering. And they say, Yeah, help us. He says, Why should I help you? You hate me. Almost the same language where we're, it's, it's now worked out in this, in this image for us of Jephthah where, where just because they need him, they want Jephthah back, but they've outcast God. They don't serve God anymore, but in a time of trouble, we'll run back and get God. Go get this outlaw God. And, and, and they say, well, we know we've done wrong and we'll pay for it. We'll pay for all that we've done wrong. Just come help us now. If you'll just, Protect us. We'll serve you. And it's being played out here in physical imagery of Jephthah as he goes then, right? And he's the head and leader. He goes and talks to these Ammonites. He says, okay, I'll come help you. He does it. He actually keeps going. And and, I don't want to read all of this. You'll start to glaze. But I'll I'll tell you what. You need to hear it. That he goes to the Ammonites and he, he says to them, why, why are you coming to fight us? He goes and talks to them. This mighty warrior. Why are you coming to fight us? And they say, well, because, because that's our land and you've taken it from us. And, and Jephthah gives them this long answer. You know, Israel didn't take away the land. He said, when we wanted to come way back in Egypt and we tried to come through here and we asked if we could pass and you wouldn't let us. You were too afraid to even let us pass over because we didn't want this land. And your king there that was called Sihon, he wouldn't let us, and you can read about it in Deuteronomy. But but let's look at what he says and pick it up. 
here in verse in verse 19. Because Israel, he's talking to these Ammonites. Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon. And Israel said to him, please let us pass through your land to our country. We weren't trying to take you over. But Sihon didn't trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people and they camped at Jahaz and they fought with Israel. And Yahweh, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel and they defeated them. So Israel took possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. And then they took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from Arnon to Jabbok, from the wilderness to the Jordan. So, So then the Lord... Yahweh, the God of Israel, dispossessed the Amorites from before his people. And are you to, to take possession of them? Will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? And all that the Lord our God has dispossessed before us, we will possess. I, I just I want you to hear the argument because it's kind of interesting based versus what they are thinking in the chapter last, what the people of God are treating God like and what you and I can treat God like. Do you see his argument? His argument for them is God took the land and gave it to us. So it's a God thing. Why didn't you have your God give you the land that you should have? Remember last chapter where God says to them, why should I save you? Why shouldn't you just go to your own gods and have them save you? That you, Because now you're serving other gods. Let them save you. Jephthah's using the same argument. He's saying, hey, hey, to the, to the Ammonites, he's saying, hey, you guys, your God should, could give you the God, the stuff that you need. He even references Balak. That's the king of Moab, you know, who tried to get Balaam, the guy with the talking donkey, to curse Israel. He goes through this whole story. Well, even you couldn't get him to curse us because it's a God thing. Our God delivered us. Our God possessed the land. We have this knowledge that God did it. That's what I stand on. It's an amazing picture. Who is this Savior, this Jephthah? He's an outcast. He's spit upon. He's not loved. And and yet he's the one that's telling these Ammonites, you know what, it's, it's God of Israel and it's a God thing. When God does something, you need to follow what he does. And you should trust your God. And I'm trusting my God. You should listen. Pretty amazing. Interesting and helpful, this shunned outcast, this son of a prostitute, this surrounded by worthless men. This is the one who will save. And his words are God's words. Shouldn't the Lord's judge? (laughs) And this image of, no, God's going to be the judge. He even goes there. Incredible. So so what happens? So he talks. They reject him. They say, no, we're not going to do it. We're going to fight. So there's this big battle. This amazing sacrifice that happens. Super puzzling until you start thinking about it. So verse 29 says, The Spirit of Yahweh was upon Jephthah. After the Ammonites didn't listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent to them, and they went after, and here comes the Spirit of the Lord, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah, he passed on to the Ammonites. Here he comes. After talking to them, and they wouldn't listen, he comes through, and it says the Spirit of the Lord's on him. So this is a spiritual thing, enablement coming out. Here comes God to rescue his people through this guy. And Jephthah made a vow to Yahweh. 
and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the Ammonites, shall be Yahweh's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and Yahweh gave them into his hand, and he struck them from Erer to the neighborhood of Mineth, 20 cities, and as far as abel Karamim, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Massive battle, massive win. Jephthah made this vow to God. Why did he make a vow to God? Well, I, I think he realized God was mighty. I think he realized God had delivered Israel in the past. I think he'd realized God had given them this, this stuff for them in the past. But what wasn't he sure of? That God would be for him. Right? I know God gave us this land, he says to the Amorites. I, I, I know this is what God has done in the past. I know he's a mighty God. I'm just not sure he's for me. I better, I better make a vow. I'll give something to God so that he'll be for me and he'll be in favor of me and I'll do the right things. I'll make sure I've lined up my ducks so that, so that I've done the right pattern so God, but, and so he makes a bargain with God that he's bringing something to the table. What's the something? Well, I don't know, whatever cow or cattle or something that comes out, I'll burn it for you, God. It'll be an offering to you. Just save me now. You may have heard this story, what happens next, right? Because then Jephthah, he's won. The battle's over. He's, he's the victor. He, he came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She's celebrating. Great victory. God gave my dad. Oh, how can... Dad, I'm so excited for you. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter, and as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes. He said, Alas, my daughter, you've brought me very low, and you've become the cause of great trouble to me, for I have opened my mouth to Yahweh, and I cannot take back my vow. Okay, as soon as we read this, you know where your head goes? Immediately where I go. <laughs> I've seen lots of people preach this. I've done lots of looking at it. Everybody goes to why not? Why don't you just say, God, I made a mistake? Oh no, Lord, I didn't mean my daughter. I mean, obviously I meant my cattle or my house, take anything, but not my kid. That's not right. And God wouldn't require him to sacrifice his daughter. Would he? I mean, I would say, God, I did that in haste, Lord. Let's, I don't want to take a life, and there's huge debates over this, why it's so important not to make a hasty vow. In fact, you start taking making sermons about let's not make hasty vows because it'll come on your head. I mean, we don't think of our vows strongly enough. That's a really good word. You know, I know people that break their marriage vows every day. Tragic, but... No, this is the result, right, of thinking that you're going to appease God, that you're going to somehow do something that God will be appeased with. 
And so he's made his vow. Now he's like, I've got to do it. I mean, I made God. I know God is powerful. That wasn't the question. I know God is strong. That wasn't the question. I was not sure he was for me. So I said, okay, I'll make a bargain. And if you do this, I'll do that. And then he did this. And so I've got to do that. That isn't really even the point. Keep going with me. Finish, we'll talk about what it is. So in verse 30, 35, 36, she said to him, My father, you've opened your mouth to Yahweh. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that Yahweh has avenged you on your enemies, the Ammonites. She says, Dad, I'm willing. Right? So she said to her father, Let this thing be done to me. Leave me alone two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. And so he said, go. And then he sent her away for two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. So it's not that she's weeping because she's a virgin, because she has no line. She'll have no children. She'll have no line going on. And neither will Jephthah. This is his only kid. It's a tragic, hard thing. And it says that at the end of two months, she returned with her father who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She'd never known a man. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in the year. So here's the point. He did it. So well, that's horrible and terrible. And he shouldn't. Yeah, he shouldn't have. No way. That's a horrible thing. It's a terrible thing. It ought never to happen. But the Bible says he did it. He performed his vow, and his daughter was willing, and she mourned the cost, for it was high. No other kids, no other line, no other future. This is a big deal, not a small deal. And I say, wow, boom, end of story, so cool. No, it doesn't even end there. It keeps going. Listen to the end with me. It's the first couple of verses of it says, it says, now the men of Ephraim were called to arms. They crossed to Zaphon and said to Jephthah, why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites and didn't call us to go with you? We will burn your house with fire. Wow, this major sacrifice, and, and they're still fighting. And indeed, you can read the end of this. Or what happens is Ephraim, who's one of the sons of, of Joseph, and Manasseh, that's the Gileadites, that's this son of Joseph, they fight, and they're killing each other. 42,000 people die based on their accent. <laughs> What's going on? Why does this stuff happen? And it ends with Jephthah judged Israel for six years. And then he died, and he was buried in his city. So the story ends, Jephthah not even universally acclaimed for the incredible leadership and sacrifice of his daughter. Instead, he's maligned and threatened in defending himself. He's rejected again, and he fights back, and civil war begins. There's no real peace from this judge, and just six years is a really short time. And you come back and say, Dax, this is why I hate the Old Testament. Dax, this is why. What we need is a topical sermon on staying out of fear in the coronavirus. Dax, this is why. Why? 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 Because you're not seeing what's going on in the story. Well, then tell, tell, so think with me for just a minute, will you? 
Think with me about what, where's, where, where's our hope? Where's your hope today? What actually gives you assurance and hope today to walk out the door and to live, to breathe, to act, to do the things you should do, to take care of your neighbor who might be sick, to, to not walk around in fear? What, what actually is doing that? Because, because of the picture, right? If you're a person of God and you're an Israelite, the picture that was just given to you is that your Savior was an outcast, rejected person by you. You didn't really even love him. In fact, you hated him. It said in the text they hated this guy. And yet, God was the one who used him to save you. It wasn't about your great love. It wasn't about your great greeting of him. It wasn't about how you took care of him. It wasn't about all these things. In fact, there's this deliverer that came, and, 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 and that's what happened. And this deliverer that came, he he loved the people anyway. He became their leader, but you know what? It cost him. This is the picture. Not go do this. You should never do this. But make no mistake, it cost the deliverer. What? His only kid. He gave his only kid who willingly went so that Israel would be saved. You don't think that's maybe a picture or something? That sounds like something. Yeah, it sounds like something. It sounds like Yeshua. It sounds like the one whose name means God saves. It sounds like the one who willingly went to death for you and me. It sounds like the New Testament idea of God sacrificing for us. Not because we loved him. Not because we made the right bargain. Not because we've done the right things. But because he loves us. And wouldn't give up on us. Along comes this Savior, right? Can, can we talk a little, just for a minute about Jesus? Yeshua, which means God saves. That his mission in Mark 10.45, the Son of Man came not to be served, not to be the big king, but to serve, to give his life as the ransom for many. And he did it. Nothing can hit me that can take me out of the reality that Jesus Christ has died for me. It's not going away. He's the only mediator between God and man. First Timothy says there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And what does he want to say about him? The one who gave himself as a ransom for all. Yeah, the picture of this daughter who says, yeah, dad, I'll do it. Which is the testimony given at a proper time. He did it for us. Look, greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. It's not talking about you laying down your life for him. It's talking about Jesus Christ who laid down his life for you. Oh, it's so amazing. I can stand today because Jesus Christ has died for me. And that's a horrible thing that someone would die. And yet he did it. And that's what it cost. And therefore I have hope. Not because I've washed my hands. Washing hands is important. But, but that's the truth, right? So, so, so here we are. We're in this thing where Jesus Christ, well, why, why is that so remarkable? Well, because, look, he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order the world might be saved. This is the salvation. This is the deliverance. And, and, and you have in Ephesians, we have redemption through what? The blood of Jesus. 
And, and what does that mean for you and me? It means particularly that I've been forgiven my sins. That's what you need here today. The fact that you didn't wash your hands right. The fact that you didn't do the things that were the best exactly thing. There's, there's no way for you to absolutely not get this virus today unless you stop breathing. Well, I'm going to stop breathing. Yeah, it's called death. And you can slice it down, you can slice it down, you can try and get better, we can try and do the right thing, we can try and do everything. But at the end of the day, the only real thing we have is that we know at the end of the day that our wrongs have been forgiven. The stuff we didn't do right. Including the wrong of, of, of I, I don't really even turn to God until I need Him. I don't turn to God until I say, oh no, now I'm scared and something will happen. Oh Lord, save me. I prayed that prayer so many times when I was a kid growing up. Lord, if you'll help me get a good grade, I will, I will, I will read my Bible every, every day this week. <laughs> I'll do it for a month. And then I would do it for a week or maybe a little bit more. I break my vow. Even if I didn't, right? That's a terrible way to think about God who blesses us, whose blood has, is for our forgiveness of sins. And, and you keep going, right? That he's the mediator of a new covenant in Hebrews 9. That, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since what? A death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. What Jephthah is doing today as a judge is a terrible, terrible thing that you should never follow and yet images the reality of what God has done for us. A death has occurred. And it's in that way that you and I get forgiveness of sin. You say, well, why does this even matter? It matters because I'm a sinner and you are too. And if I'm not going to have fear, if I'm going to have the assurance that God really has me as I go live out there, as I'm exposed to disease and germs, as I'm exposed to things that press on me to think wrongly about God and to think that what he is is somebody who wants to sort of be manipulated or be served in order that he will serve you, you can stand and say, no, I've got a God who loves me and who died for me. And I can stand in assurance and know that he's for me. And look at this. This is Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his son, he didn't, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is not a verse to promise that he's going to give you a car. It's a verse to say, he's got us. He's always had us and he always will. This is the hope you and I have all the way through. This is why we gather to receive this word, to hear it. And though I perish, this is my life, that Jesus Christ has shed his blood for me. The rescuer, he's an outcast. He went outside the camp. He hung out with the lepers. He hung out with people you don't want to be around. He was despised, and yet he loved us. And he delivered us at such great cost, not to me, to him. God himself, what love that he gave his only son for us. Not so we would be better people, more moral people, more loving people, but so we would be saved and we can be with him forever. This is the hope of Denny Tell, who's sitting lying in a bed waiting to go to his eternal home. It's our hope too. 
May you hear today the forgiveness of sin for you so that you know that you're with God forever. Amen? Let's pray.